We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Indiana, home of Pacers basketball. Miller for three, and he got it. Legends have been born. Miller retreats to the three-point line and hits again. Memories have been made. Caliburn, a deep three for the lead. And baby! Great basketball has been played. Nembhard away. Hits the three and the In 49 states. It's just basketball. Flips it to the big fella, fake, shoots, and But this, this is Indiana. And you're listening to Setting the Pace. Let's go! Your go-to Pacers podcast. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. We got paces hooping. Let's talk stats. Hot takes. All fast. New topics. Updates. Three pointers. Fast breaks. We keep scoring. We don't need to stop. New episodes. Weekly drops. This your number one podcast. Sweeping every team. We gon' need a mop. Setting like the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. All right, everybody. Joining us now to break down the Hawks game and the Celtics game. Fachi and me are joined by Caitlin Cooper of Basketball She Wrote. Caitlin, thanks for joining us. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me back. I've been screwing up our podcast schedule for like a month and a half now, so I'm pretty happy to be back talking to you guys. Oh, we're happy to have you back. Well, we, we missed you, so always great having you back. No, uh, no, but No schedule screw-ups at all, though. Well, <laughs> no, it's just part of it. But uh, I want to get into this game, obviously, Hawks-Pacers. The Pacers just couldn't miss anything, 150 to 116. Then they play the Celtics, and they only score 101 points. So quite drastically uh, two different games here, Caitlin. But I guess give me one takeaway from both of these games that really stood out to you. I think the thing that connects the two of them is that I was left after the Hawks game and after the Celtics game asking myself of those two teams' respective defenses, what the heck did I just watch for very different reasons? <laughs> I don't understand I why the Atlanta Hawks continue to 
which they moved away from blitzing in the third quarter, but I don't know why they continue to blitz so many ball screens and have those stances on the weak side where they cannot see cutters at all. They gave up 22 points off cuts to the Pacers, and they already ranked dead last in the league, and they give up 13.8 per game. So 10 more than the worst rank in the league with those stances, and then Boston was just junking up a lot of what they were doing. So that was kind of my big takeaway, overarching through two games. You know, the Pacers were on such a hot streak going into that game against the Hawks, and obviously they kept it going in that game. But I think when you talk about the Hawks game, we got to at least talk about the ball movement. It was unbelievable. I mean, 50 assists on, I believe, 60 made shots. It was a historic performance. It was the most assists ever for the Pacers, and just a few off you know, the all-time record. What were your thoughts on the ball movement in that Atlanta game, and is there any way it could have possibly been any better? Yeah, it was definitely a clinic. I mean, that's the thing, like what Tyrese says, right? It takes two people to get an assist. So when you're shooting really hot, you're going to naturally get more assists when you pass the ball out. But he did a really good job of passing the ball out of those traps because, like I said, they went away from the blitzing in the third quarter. They ran – the Hawks tried five different pick-and-roll coverages against Tyrese, and Tyrese only scored three points in that quarter, and the Pacers still had 39. Miles was obviously terrific, 17 points just on his own. Really scoring out of a different varieties as the role man, whether he was popping, putting himself with the pacing with Tyrese to stay in tandem speed with him. I think that that's something that he's really grown out over the last year and a half here. So, yeah, I mean, definitely the ball was moving for reasons that I did point out, too, that like the Pacers were very cognizant of when the screener was releasing from those picks. They were cutting the weak side corner at the same time. Or if somebody was stunting towards Tyrese as the ball handler, they were cutting that stunt. So it was really kind of. Even if they weren't getting points off the cut, it was a cut assist that was sucking in the defense away from the corners, and that was helping the ball to move pretty well. So a lot of times when you watch the Pacers, like, yes, they have a lot of shooters. Yes, they have Tyrese's gravity, but they also do a lot of things to reshape and remold the defense in addition to just what the Hawks' defense continues to be that I don't fully understand. That Hawks' defense, or whatever it was called, I mean, it was uh, easy for the Pacers to attack, and Bruce Brown did just that, 8 of 9 from the field, obviously coming back from that bone bruise, but he did miss the game against Boston. I mean, the two games that he returned against Milwaukee and then against Atlanta, what have you thought so far about his return? And have you seen him look a little bit different than previously when he was dealing with that injury? Yeah, I mean, I think he mentioned, right, that he had been dealing with the injury for about two weeks before he had even started sitting out. So I think we kind of have to take that into account with how much his three-point percentage had dipped probably to a degree. I think it was pretty helpful in the Hawks game in particular because they were putting Trey Young onto Bruce Brown and then they were putting Bruce in the weak side corner so that Trey would have to be the low man. So that's a kind of another way that teams will attack weakest links on defense, not just screening them into the action and hunting them that way, but also forcing him to be a help defender. So I thought that was pretty clever from the coaching staff and from Bruce just to be heady with what he was doing with his movement and floating into space. And it was similar against the box, right? Because Dame was guarding Bruce Brown. So there were times where they were putting like Bruce Brown even slid to the block once against Damian Lillard in order to punish him. So that's going to be important as time goes on, because I suspect that more teams will try to hide their weakest defenders onto Bruce with what the current starting lineup is. So his ability to punish that, I think is going to be important. Yeah. The strength of this Pacers team has always been their depth. And Mm -hmm. sometimes people would say, who is the second guy? And we never really know who the second guy is. It always varies. But on a night like that game against Atlanta, the Pacers had eight players scoring double figures. Actually, almost close to being 10 players scoring double figures. Uh, it doesn't quite feel sustainable. But on a night like that, it showed that this team is very deep and has very capable players. I mean, a collective effort, 
How often do you think the Pacers could be swinging around seven guys scoring in double figures or so? When Tyrese Halliburton's your point guard, I think that that you have a lot better chance of doing that because he's going to set people up and because he's going to draw more defenders to him. So somebody's pretty much always going to be open. And then that just ushers in. I think it is true. The broadcast points out a lot of times that, you know, passing is contagious. And when one person wants to do it, more people do. I mean, I know you guys didn't bring me on to talk about the Bucks game, but when you're talking about depth, like the Pacers closed their first win over the Bucks last week with TJ McConnell, Tyrese, Obi. Um, ben and Miles. That, that lineup before that night had only played four minutes, and they played the final seven minutes of that game versus the Bucks, and outscored them like twenty-five to fourteen. The Bucks starters. So I think you kind of have to look at this in two different ways, and I'd be curious to find out how the front office would view this if we had the ability to, you know, listen into their conversations. Because I think you can look at it on the one hand and say exactly what you just said that like the Pacers do have so much depth that they can run a, roll a closing lineup out there that they haven't even really played and get a win over a team that most people view as a contender, or at least did headed into the season. But on the other hand, you look at it and it's like, I'll ask you guys, who are the three people in between Miles and Tyrese who are guaranteed to be in a closing lineup? I mean, you, you would, I think you would like Aaron Neesmith out there for defensive purposes, but you know, after that, it feels like, Hey, who's got the hot hand that night? Yeah. Because that varies. So, uh, Alex, you know, what, what would you say? Because we have seen some, you know, Rick roll with who's played well, and that hasn't always been the same group. Yeah, I would say it feels like most of the time Bruce is out there with Rick's choices for that five. Um, I, I feel like for me personally, Caitlin, I don't know if you feel the same way, but I've actually enjoyed Andrew at the two more when he was able to start next to Tyrese, then Bruce. And it's one of those controversial things because Bruce is the highest paid player. Andrew's the lowest paid player. And Andrew's in his second year. Bruce is a veteran that just won a championship with the Nuggets. So there is kind of like, that does matter, you know. But I feel like Nimhart has, when he's healthy, like he's been so good defensively and probably just a little bit better as a secondary ball handler than Bruce too because Andrew's an actual point guard where Bruce is really not. He can do it at times, but it's just like it doesn't feel as natural. And then other than that, you're looking at who's the fifth guy. And maybe you do Bruce and Andrew together with Aaron Miles and Tyrese, and that's probably your best defensive lineup. Is it your best offensive lineup? I don't know. There's been moments when Obi's played okay, but I don't trust Obi Toppin at this point. I still am a little bit hesitant on my trust with him. And then in terms of a team defender, I think Buddy Hill's been okay, but his shooting has been quite down this year, and it's kind of disappointing because it's what he does well. So I think the five defensive guys are probably the best closing five with this team right now, but they just got to be a little bit better shooting the basketball because Bruce and Andrew have been really bad shooting. And then I know Aaron was leading the league, I think, at one point in three-point percentage, but yep. he's had some rough games the last couple of weeks here, or the last couple of games here, not been able to connect from deep. And I feel like that's going to be – you can't – I don't think we can rely on Aaron Neesmith to be the league's best three-point shooting shooter. I don't feel like that's really in uh, his resume. I feel like he's – probably an average three-point shooter that maybe can shoot about 37, 38 for an average, but that's uh, that's asking for a lot, in my opinion, Caitlin. Yeah, and in that lineup that you mentioned with the three defenders in between Tyrese and Miles is who they closed with in the one win over um, Detroit when they locked down Kate Cunningham pretty well after he had scored 20-plus in the first half, and Andrew was really being kind of like an itchy sweater on him, and then Bruce was taking some turns as well. I've liked Andrew at the two. I liked him in the game a lot against Houston. They ran like the first six possessions of the game where 
he was actually the primary initiator and Tyrese was playing off the ball and coming back to it. And I thought that that loosened some things up for them. But like you said, the numbers for him from a points per possession standpoint, when he's passing out of the pick and roll, he's like top 30, which is really remarkable when you consider that he has yet to make a self-created three this season. Like imagine if, if his pull-up three was falling, how much more does this passing open up? And, and I do, I'm on record. I think he's the most complete defender on this roster. So I like Andrew a lot, but the, the problem that I think that we point out is like, we're, we've just named like four different groups. I think we would yeah. probably all three agree on Aaron, but I don't think it's necessarily, it's good that the coaching staff has been adaptable and has been able to press the right buttons a lot of the time. But I, I don't think that there's like a surefire. I know that that guy tonight is going to be one of, one of the three in between them. Like, and that's kind of the thing that they face going into the trade deadline a little bit to me. It's going to be interesting. And I do, I do think that I look forward to having this team fully healthy because I do mm-hmm. feel there's always one of them out, whether it's Nemhard's out or Bruce Brown's out or, they, or someone else is out. But going back to maybe just the Hawks game in specific, the ball movement, it, it was so great to the point where a lot of the, the starters did not need to play in, in the fourth quarter at all. And in this game, we saw Tyrese Halliburton play 25 minutes. He had 18 assists. Yeah. Do you think if this game was within reach, he's breaking the Pacers' single-game assist record because – it felt like that was the only thing we had left to play for, but, you know, to be continued. Yeah, I mean, I think he probably would have broken it just because of how easy and squishy Atlanta's defense was and how hot they were. So I guess it depends. I know that there was a lot of accounts calling him out for allegedly stat hunting at the end of the game yeah. against Chicago. I don't really care one way All or the that. other, but um, it seems like he he was okay with taking the quarter off given that they had a back-to-back. And I don't, I don't really think he cares either what people say because he even said it after the Knicks game that if he would have known the the record for most assists in a game for a Pacer was 23, he would have tried to break uh, broke it. So I don't think he really cares about that. I think it's fun. I mean, we saw Giannis do it against the Pacers. Who cares? I mean, mm-hmm. go exactly. out there and stop him. There's time on the clock, opportunity to make history, do it. But I want to go to the Celtics game now because no Bruce Brown, no Andrew Nimhard, and Buddy Hill gets to start. I feel like Matherin has played pretty well the last 10 games, shooting the ball a lot mm-hmm. better. And defensively, I think, you know, it's still up and down for him, but he's getting better on that end too. Were you a little bit surprised that Buddy Hill got the start over Matherin, considering the Pacers needing that secondary kind of guy to help Tyrese in this situation? Here's the one thing that I'll say about Ben. Over the summer, when it seemed pretty clear that Ben was going to be the starter headed into the year, I was feeling pretty certain that he would probably have a little bit of a rocky start just because we had started seeing how teams were adjusting to him at the end of last year and in preseason. And I was kind of like, the temptation's going to be there to put Buddy back in the starting lineup. And it was funny because Tony and I even made a joke where Tony asked me, like, how long will it be until there's articles written about when Buddy starts to be talked about as a starter? And I was like, I'd give it till Black Friday. And he was a starter like two days before then. And I felt like, you know, you kind of need to let it ride with Ben and let him work through some of those kinks. And I think even with you guys, you asked me, like, how would you adjust the starting lineup? And I was like, oh, probably just put Aaron at the four. I don't think I'd move Ben yet. But after I saw them do that and have Ben slide back to the bench, I saw things from him that I'm like, he wouldn't have had those reps if he was still being a starter. Like when he had that great passing game against Detroit, there's a moment I wrote about it on Patreon where they ran the same play four times. And if people want to get into like what the nitty gritty of it is there, they can read it there. I won't go too in depth, but like basically it's to get Ben a second side, empty side pick and roll so that he can create there. Typically if he's out there on the floor with Tyrese, that's a pass back to the original side of the floor to get 
uh, a late ball screen coverage for Tyrese to attack out of. It's just to get him back the ball against the tilted defense. But when Ben's out there with TJ, it's for Ben to attack second side. And that was allowing him to make more reads. So I think it's actually been good for him and growing out some areas of his game that he has been coming off the bench to this um, degree here lately. And I do think I agree with you. Like he has played better, I think, on the whole. He's been trending a bit upward over these last several games. The three's falling for him at a better rate. He's getting back to the free throw line. He almost is averaging, I think, five attempts per game over this uh, last seven games since they made the change to the starting lineup. So I think that it is a way to kind of still continue to get development from him to be bringing him off the bench, at least for the here and now. So I don't dislike it. Now, I will say that when you're starting Buddy Heald and Buddy Heald has to to guard Jalen Brown from the tip or before when Buddy was still starting and he's guarding Giannis or he's guarding Kyle Kuzma, that's an indictment of the four position. And I don't see that as any other way. You know, Alex had a great article um, just after the the Hawk game talking about Matherin's play over the last 10 games or so, and he really has stepped his game up. And the fan base was starting to get pretty down on Matherin about maybe a month ago or so, maybe a little bit more than that. And I think everyone's coming around to say, hey, this is a guy in year two. He's 21 years old. Give him some time. He does look more comfortable off the bench. But talking about this Celtics game overall, the Pacers were coming off of a, a juggernaut of an offensive display against Atlanta. Now, Boston's a whole other story, a good, a real good defensive team that has championship aspirations. The Celtics actually hold the Pacers to their season low point total. They crush them on the glass. They hold them a low you know, field goal percentage, about 41%. What was it that Boston really did to frustrate the Pacers in this game? I mean, I do agree with what Tyrese said after the game. I do think that they got some good looks from three and they just shot the ball miserably. I don't think that they'll all shoot the ball that bad on the same night again, much like, you know, maybe they won't all shoot the ball that well like they did against the Atlanta Hawks. It was the second night of a back-to-back for them. I don't think it was helpful that Bruce and Andrew weren't available. That certainly shook up some of the rotations and, and units that were used to playing together. So that's a component of it. But Boston just does so many different types of coverages. So like I have a clip out there from today where they were playing zone in the first half and Drew Holiday's literally playing center, the middle of a middle of a zone, quarterbacking it. And then when the ball got broke the free throw line, they would morph mid possession into man. And you could even kind of see the reaction to TJ, like what the heck is this? Like, and that's why I said, like, wait, I had, like, if I am the person watching it and I have to watch the clip like 10 times to figure out what exactly were the Boston Celtics doing here, imagine you're the person with the ball trying to make reads against it. And the Pacers did end up figuring some things out just against their, just their basic zone in the second half as well as the game went on. But like, when you're able to throw that out there and then you can like have Drew Holiday guarding Isaiah Jackson and then the second half you have Drew Holiday face guarding and applying full court pressure against Tyrese, that's a problem. And then I have another clip on Twitter today, too, where they have Tyrese has given up the ball to the second side of the floor where Ben has it coming off a pick from Isaiah and Tyrese is standing on the logo and Drew Holiday's not even looking at the pick and roll being run behind him. Like, that's how confident that the Celtics were that it was like, we are going to take away everything or we're going to take away Tyrese Halliburton and live with everything else. And we're confident that we can just play four on four against you. And that's where it goes back again to what you said at the beginning of the podcast, Fauci, when you were like, who's the second guy? Like that's that's where a, a moment like that comes down to. If you have a top tier defender and Drew Holiday willing to stand on the logo to just watch Tyrese Halliburton and, and you don't get points out of that, that's that's problematic. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data 
and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Great points. And I was glad that you put that clip out there about the defense because as I was sitting there watching in the game, I was like, are they in a zone or are they in a man? I couldn't tell. And I was kind of confused by what was happening. I'm like, I feel like Drew's in the middle of that zone. But then I, I was like, maybe I'm just dumb and don't understand what this kind of scheme is. But then I was glad you pointed that out because that was a little bit different. I think it threw a wrinkle into how they attacked it. But this starting lineup change, we haven't had a talk since, you know, they've made this change. And I was kind of curious if they would still roll super big knowing who they were going up against. Mm-hmm. I never felt good about Jalen or Miles trying to guard one of the four, you know, guard type players on, on the Celtics with Porzingis. We knew Porzingis was going to be out there, but I wasn't sure how that would play out well. And and it didn't do very well good offensively for the Pacers when they started out, got off to a really cold start. Don't know if they really could have adjusted that, but do you think that maybe coming into the next game on Monday night that we see a starting lineup change again, or maybe if Bruce and Andrew are good to go, we see maybe more of that five-man lineup we talked about with who they could close with, or, or do you think they stay big and try to just figure out the rotations? That's an interesting point because Jalen was guarding Drew Holiday, and they barely even touched that button. Mm-hmm. Like, they barely even hunted that mismatch because they were so busy hunting Tyrese and hunting Buddy with Jalen and Jason Tatum and trying to get those switches, particularly in the first half. The Pacers did make some adjustments that I thought were clever as the game went on against that. But, like, there wasn't a lot of Drew trying to attack Jalen in space because they didn't even need to get to that. 
So, like, I do wonder, like, if Jason isn't shooting the ball as hot as he was, because let's face it, he made some absolutely hellacious shots. Like, he hasn't been a great off-the-dribble shooter this year. He's, like, at, like, 32%, and he made seven pull-up threes against the Pacers. Um, I will say, as a slight aside, that after he had made five or six of those, I think that when you're getting switches and you have Jalen or Miles out on an island, you should probably go switch to Blitz and get the ball out of his hands. They did that twice, and on one of them, O'Shea scored on a drive, and then it was like, ah, we can't do that again. We can't put the can't put the team in rotation and risk those O'Shea drives, <laughs> which I think most Pacer fans would be like, hey, you know, O'Shea shoots like 32% on a drive. I think we can live with that, but Back to your question. Like, I do think that, yeah, I mean, I think I probably would be willing to go smaller there. I'm not a huge believer in the double big lineup. I think that, again, I give the coaching staff credit and that they they realize, hey, we're in a bit of a skid here. Let's make an adjustment. Let's see if we can play bigger because we have no other answers at the four. We've exhausted pretty much our other chances. So let's see if Jalen's shooting can hold up and what we maybe we can, you know, in- improve our rebounding. Those numbers have jumped a little bit, not much. But um yeah i mean it was a net negative for them when jalen and miles were on the floor last night overall they are outscoring opponents and i think in the seven games that the two of them have been out there but um it it was not good in that game and it was not good at the beginning of the first game against milwaukee that's why they only played two minutes in the second half but i'll I'll ask you guys a trivia question here based on that question how many minutes do you think jalen and miles have played together in the fourth quarter since this lineup change was made zero I was just saying, not much at all. Um, what's the what's the I feel final? Like Jalen doesn't get back in most of the time to close the game out. She's also left. They either you know got up big and didn't need to play in the fourth quarter, and one time Jalen got banged up or Miles was in foul trouble. So yeah, what is it zero? Yeah, or they go with hijacks. So yeah, it's been two minutes. They played two, two minutes, minutes together in the fourth quarter in these seven games. So, like, to me, that's kind of telling. Like, if you're not going back to that at the end of a game, I don't necessarily think that this is a long-term solution. I think it's a fine one, kind of like what they did midseason last year in the reverse, where it was like, hey, let's try start playing Aaron at the four and see if this works. And and they did. They won, like, eight of ten games after they made that adjustment. But um, I, I don't know if when the Celtics are playing really small and it's harder to show help what that will look like, especially if, like I said, if, if, if Jalen and Jason don't go for nearly 70 on over 60% shooting, then they have another weapon waiting right there where it's like, hey, Drew, just, you know, go at Jalen. We'll spread the floor out for you. And it's interesting that you said that because that kind of leads me into my next question because earlier I talked about the power in numbers. Hey, the Pacers had eight players scoring double figures against Atlanta. Well, in this situation, Boston actually shows they could beat you with just essentially two people. I mean, Tatum and Brown truly were that great. They actually combined for, I want to say it was 27 of uh, the Celtics' 46 baskets. So, I mean, look at that. When you're talking about, you know, far more than 50% of those baskets, that gets the job done. Did that kind of show that, okay, yeah, it's fun to have eight players that could score in double figures, but the Pacers really need that second star on a night like this when you want to beat a team like Boston. Is that kind of the clear-cut example of that? Yeah, I mean they're two and they're two and seven, I think, now when they as a team shoot below thirty percent from three. And to me, it just continues to speak to the defensive holes too, right? I mean, when you have two guys that can go off for an entire game and score seventy on sixty-three percent shooting, again, it doesn't help that you don't have Bruce and you don't have Andrew, because I'm sure they would have wanted to throw reps at both of them against those guys rather than having Buddy, you know, as Jalen's primary defender for a lot of that game. But I also don't necessarily know why we get back to these places where 
or I should say that the Pacers do, where I think that we can all agree that like the defense against Giannis was better when it wasn't Buddy as a primary with Tyrese as the low man, and instead they were building the wall at the free throw line and trying to, you know, quote-unquote live with Milwaukee's others and then potentially beating them from three. And then, like I said, Jason's getting pretty much anything he wants. Like, if he has Miles out on an island, he's shooting over the top for a self-created three. He was walking Buddy into post-ups from 20 feet out. And they weren't being as proactive with double teaming him and getting the ball out of his hands, which, you know, Boston is the number one three point shooting team in the NBA. So I understand that to an extent. But when you have two guys that are that are beating you to that degree and you don't have the defenders to throw at them, I think at a certain point in time, you probably needed to test that the other way. And that's something that I do think has changed since they started doing the double big lineup is that they have been a lot more active in what early on in the year would have been we're limiting threes above all else. And that's why we're giving up so much action in the paint and above the rim. Cause we want to lock down the three point line. Now they've been a lot more willing to show help in a lot of places where they know like, Hey, we're overwhelmed. We're giving up size there. We have to flood over to the strong side or we have to double here. Or we have to blitz there. And they didn't really do that much against Boston last night. So I understand feeling it out because what I said about Tatum as a pull-up shooter, like I understand that you might not have started like that from the beginning, but once he got hot, I felt like they needed to make that adjustment. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. And I was going to ask you about this too, because that starting lineup change has allowed for Isaiah Jackson to kind of get more mm-hmm. of the backup center minutes. And I feel like we've seen some major growth from Ajax this year, done a better job of not fouling as much and getting in the right position. But overall, how do you feel about Isaiah moving forward? And do you still feel like Jalen is the best you know, backup big on this team, or is the the wrinkle of what Ajax can do versus what, you know, Miles and Jalen kind of do similarly, does that make the Pacers more dynamic? Yeah, I mean, there's a part of me that wonders if going double big wasn't motivated by the fact that Ajax was playing better, and this is the only way to be able to play all three of them. Um, I do think that he's taken some steps forward. I think overall, I would still lean towards Jalen just because there's more versatility in what you can do with him out on the floor unless he suddenly, like, he isn't shooting the three as well at the four spot, which, I mean, he's mainly being guarded by fives, but on higher volume, I think he's down to, like, 28% over these seven games. But he can shoot. So, like, there were moments, like, if we really want to rewind things back to when they played the Clippers in the third quarter, the Clippers were like, let's put Zubots on Bruce Brown or let's put Zubots on TJ McConnell. We're going to put Paul George on Isaiah Jackson. And then they're using Bruce or TJ as the screener because of that. And Paul George is just like, well, I don't need to guard Isaiah if he's above the free throw line. I'm just going to play free safety. And then I'm just going to be taking the role man. So that's not going to be as likely to happen if you have Jalen out there. I will say you guys, I don't know how you feel about this, but my guess is if Isaiah played like he is right now during preseason, he probably would have been in pole position as the backup big just because the Pacers have more team control with him. Yeah. than they do with Jalen. So um, it does put them in an interesting position. It's going to be hard when when Andrew and Bruce are both healthy and they have all these guys available who isn't playing because somebody can't. Like you can't, you can't you're not going to play 10 or 11 deep. So. And it's crazy because there are still nights where McConnell looks good and you're like, okay, well then just wait until Andrew's back. And it just feels like this team has a good problem on their hands, but it's still a problem nonetheless that you just do not have playing time for everybody. But, you know, th- this game against the Celtics, it was a little bit up and down, you know, awful start. Like Alex mentioned, 17 points scored in the first quarter. It's the lowest the Pacers have scored, uh, you know, in, in the first quarter this year. Usually a really good first quarter team. Then at one point, they go down 16 in the second. Then they eventually cut it down to one. But in the fourth quarter, just kind of really came out flat. 
Is that just maybe the difference between an elite team and an up-and-coming team from Boston and the Pacers? Or what is it that Boston really did in that fourth quarter to really put the Pacers away? Because it felt like it was pretty much instant. The Pacers were not a threat in that fourth quarter. Yeah, I mean, that's when they were really applying pressure against Tyrese again. I mean, there's possessions where he didn't touch the ball. It was that one where Buddy got blocked twice on the same play. <laughs> that was tough. He that was shot tough the three and got blocked from behind and then reloaded and got blocked again. Oh, Tyrese never touched it. Like they had to somebody else had to bring the ball up the floor because Drew was applying so much pressure and then Drew even went off for a second and tried to stun it Buddy. But um yeah, it makes I mean we we've seen this like three or four times now. Like, you know, Alex Caruso did the same thing in the one game they played against the Bulls when they lost, where he was face guarding Tyrese and somebody else has to initiate. And it is in moments like that where I do think that they do miss Andrew because that was something that they could do against Houston. That like when other players get unleashed as a full court pest, he can bring it up and then you can bring Tyrese back to the ball because I just think that's kind of the better method of going about it is just to have Tyree start out in the corner, get a, get a pin down into a screen to get back up to the top. And then he can initiate from there rather than, you know, he brings it up and then maybe he gets trapped or he doesn't even get the ball. And then you're trying to get to the next action with the other four people. And then maybe he doesn't even get it back late in clock. So um, that's where it gets a little bit more difficult. I was going to ask, were you surprised at all last night that we didn't see Rick go with TJ and Tyrese a little bit more? I mean, it it always depends with TJ how weird the opponent's going to get. Because there's been moments where it's been very helpful to have them both out there. Like against Milwaukee, I think that it benefited them a lot in closing time that TJ played the well that he as well as he did and that you could have him out there running offense. But if the opponent's like what I said about the Clippers and it's like, okay, well now Zubots is guarding TJ and unless you're using TJ directly in the action – he's just being a one-man zone in the paint off of him, then it becomes more of a challenge because they were to the point where they were having in that game having to have TJ operating out of the elbows to try to get Zubots to guard him from closer range. And then, like, I mean, he's basically like a DHO um, operator, which isn't something you see from a guard very often in those types of situations. So it really kind of depends what the opponent's doing, I think, sometimes and how useful – TJ's going to be because even though Andrew and Bruce aren't shooting the ball particularly well, they do readily – let the ball go. Hmm. TJ has those buffering moments where you still have the benefit of sagging off of him because of what his release is and the fact that he may not even shoot it at all. So, you know, this Pacers team has responded when you play a team, you know, back to back or, you know, the same team, for instance, whether it was Philly and the Pacers did not play their, their A game and they come out, they beat Philly. Whether it was Miami, they lose that first one, they come out. You know, they beat Miami next. Uh, Milwaukee, you won back-to-back against them. They now play Boston again. And uh, we've played Boston quite a few times on the year. Mixed results, for sure. But what changes do you think the Pacers really look to make? And do you think this could be another one of those scenarios where the Pacers actually come out, make the changes, and pull off the win? Or is this just a really good Celtics team that we're already fortunate enough to have beaten once, but, you know, it might be tough to beat them again? Yeah, I mean, I think the number one adjustment is play better. That's that's always a good one. Hit more shots. And make more play shots. That will also be a good adjustment to make. And then, like I said, I would just take it back to, like, I'd feel it out again. I wouldn't be actively sending a double to Tatum on the touch unless he's proven to me that he's making those types of tough shots and making the – 
the stare down threes and isolation that he was making. If he's hot again from the beginning, then I think that they need to go switch to blitz. I think that they need to bring a double when he's backing Buddy from 20 to 8 feet or Bruce 20 to 8 feet or whoever it might be. Same with Jalen. I think you could probably be a little bit more active shading Jalen to his left. And then the Pacers did make some adjustments that I didn't even bring up because they were they were hunting Tyrese out of horns quite a bit and they were just hunting Tyrese and, and playing screening actions quite a bit. And they started... The Pacers were like, okay, then we'll hedge and recover that. So they started having Tyrese using show coverage against it so that they could keep Aaron on those matchups rather than just giving up the switch. And then the Celtics were like, oh, we'll slip out of those screens then if we're going to have Tyrese jump up above the level. And when they were slipping it, then they were bringing the corner defender over and having a tag switch, which would mean like if you're on the backside and like let's say Jalen's guarding Al Horford in the corner, Jalen would jump on Derek White slipping that screen and then Tyrese would run to the corner. So like at the end of the half, that's how Tyrese got that really great steal, which we didn't bring up. Tyrese did have like five steals in this game. He was able to anticipate that because he knew I'm going to be running to the corner because this is a tag switch out of this action. I'm going to anticipate it and go get it. So I think that that was probably an aspect of it too. It wasn't just that Boston's defense is very good, which it is. It was that very early on in that game, they were hunting Tyrese and Buddy more than teams normally do. Sometimes that gets reserved for late in the fourth fourth quarter and they were kind of doing it throughout the entire game which I'm sure had a tiring effect to a degree on Tyrese but the Pacers did make some of those adjustments as the game came on so it's possible that they'll be like hey Tyrese we're going to need you to do hedge and recover from the very get-go because we're not gonna we're not gonna let you just be getting you know overpowered in space like it says something when Jalen's able to get clear to the rim against his left and Tyrese is practically under the rim like that's not something that you really want to give up and allow plus just having your best player having to do that that much um, I don't think it's something that you really want given how important he is to the offense. All great stuff, Caitlin. And, you know, Rick Carlisle did say that this Boston Celtics team is the best starting five in the NBA, and it's going to be a tough matchup on Monday, you know. The toughest back-to-back, I think, for anybody that's playing Boston back-to-back. They're just really good, and they can beat you in so many different ways. But I think that's going to do it for our recap of the two games here. So anything you want to plug, Caitlin, before we let you go? No, just as usual, you can follow me on X at C2 underscore Cooper, and then the link to my Patreon there, patreon.com slash basketball. She wrote, I did a video showing all the ways that Tyrese and the Pacers really exploited Atlanta's defense and the fact that Atlanta tried five different pick-and-roll coverages and then just kind of trying to see what's going to come of this two-game series against Boston and what the adjustments end up looking like. So that's what's next for me. Absolutely great stuff, Caitlin. And uh, we will have Caitlin back on Wednesday morning talk about some other bigger picture stuff besides just these two game recaps so i think you guys will want to check that out but until then we will talk to y'all uh tomorrow spring is in the air at littleton coin company and we want to help you brighten your collection Visit us at LittletonCoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at LittletonCoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.